Hello, and welcome to another episode of Give Us This Day, our daily Lou. Well, I'll read a piece of the Bhagavad Gita, and then I'll talk about it. Hope you're having a lovely Friday. We made it. Um, today's a new day, new chapter. Chapter 13, The Field and the Knower. I'm going to do the usual, where I'm just going to read the words of Eknath Aswami, Aswaran, who is the translator of this specific Gita, and he talks. Actually, you know, hold on. I think I've been lying to all use this whole time. Because when I say that, it's the translation by Eknath. But I honestly think someone else does these little parts. And I <laughs> think I picked it up last time and just didn't realize. So give me one second to make sure before I keep fucking. Not that he's going to care. <laughs> Especially because of what I'm discussing. Yeah, all right, it's Eknath. Nah, because at the end of this, it'll it's a little like at the end of the, what I'm about to say, which is all just the words of the book, complete reading of the book. It says DM, which is not the initials of Eknath, um, Eswaran. But, hey, DM, whoever you are out there, we love you, kid. Now, uh, the field of the knower. I was thinking about if I should continue to do these because I just don't like sitting here and talking. Like, I just... I'm just literally rereading, but we need to understand what the, the chapter is. If I'm going to do this and just read a shloka a day, I'm not just going to give my ideas. You know, I want you to, you know, maybe, maybe one day you, anyone listening, well, what, is, what are we at? Or well, 14.7 billion of you that you listen. I mean, billion. I'm jumping the gun. Million. I'm not at billions yet. There's not even 14.7 billion people yet. I don't think. But anyway, 14.7 million. For all you 14.7 million out there that listen to every single episode... Uh, unless you're going to pick it up yourself, we're going to have to uh, help you out. So we all know what we're talking about when I'm talking about what I'm talking about, just so we all know what I'm talking about when you're talking about what I'm talking about through what I'm talking about when I'm reading in the Gita. So here we go. Yeah, bear with me. By the way, if you ever hear me doing these and you don't like this part, nah, because that's too many opinions. I can't care about the 14.7 billion opinions. If you don't like it, just skip this chapter, this uh, this one, when I do these. I don't know why you would, though, because you wouldn't know what we're talking about. You'd be falling along blind here. You'd just listen to me talk shit half the time. Right, let me stop talking shit and get into it here. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been battling typhoid fever all week, so I f- can barely breathe, but let's, let's do what I can here. <clears throat> chapter 13, The Field and the Knower. This chapter presents us with two sweeping categories, the field and the knower of the field. To simplify, we may think of the field as the body and the knower of the field as the self that resides in the body. This chapter, then, is about the duality between soul and body. This duality is seen as eternal, a basic division of all things, a fundamental concept elaborated in Sankhya philosophy. We said that the field is the body, but this is not precise enough. The field also includes the mind. In fact, it compromises all the components of prakriti, including amkara, the awareness of each, the awareness each of us has that we are an individual ego from aham, A-H-A-M, which is I, and kara, K-R-A-R-A is maker. So I maker, which is ego. That's what they used to call it. In Prakriti, including 
ahamkara, that's eye maker, that's ego. Ahamkara is the basic awareness of separateness, that which makes me I, a being separate from the rest of creation. In this wide sense, the field encompasses everything, except for the elusive consciousness that knows the field. The field is the object. The knower is the subject. Krishna is the hidden knower of the field, that is, the self. This term field is a surprisingly modern one, for it describes what today we might call an extension of the continuum of mass, energy, time, and space to include the strata of mind as well. In other words, a field of forces beyond physical and mental. Just as physics no longer regards matter and energy as essentially separate, the Gita would not regard matter and mind as separate. They are different aspects of Prakriti, the underlining, quote, stuff, end quote, of existence. Another dimension of Krishna's use of the word field is brought out by the traditional Hindu anecdote. A wonder... A wandering sadhu or holy man is asked what his work in life is. He replies, I am a farmer. When the questioner looks surprised, he adds, This body of mine is my field. I sow good thoughts and actions, and in my body I reap the results. The Buddha explains, All that we are is the result of what we have thought. It is founded on our thoughts, it is made of our thoughts. What we think, we become. For as Emerson says, the ancestor of every action is a thought. Thus, our thoughts take over, taking together, thus, our thoughts taking together, bear fruit in the actions, decisions, and desires that shape our lives. In part, the body bears the fruit of what we think insofar as our way of thinking affects our health and safety. But in a large sense, the whole field of human activity, indeed the whole of Prakriti, is also a field of karma, where, for example, the global environment is shaped by the sum of what its inhabitants do, which in turn is shaped by how they think. This idea will be picked up and elaborated in de on detail in the concluding chapters of the Gita. Verses 7 through 11 then describe the person who understands his or her or own nature. This is an, an this is an attractive picture of the modest, truly wise person who is in control of his or own his or her own life. One implication of these verses is that it is quite an achievement to understand the difference between the field and the self, the knower. Most people confuse the two taking the body and mind to be who they are. In the usual course of events, we may be totally unaware that there is a self, a consciousness underneath the surface awareness of a separate I. Verses 12 to 17 describe the ultimate underlining reality, Brahman, pure, undifferentiated consciousness, the divine ground of existence. Verse 19 returns us to the discussion of the basic duality of mind-matter and spirit or self. Again, the technical terms prakriti and parusha are used. Parusha is the knower and prakriti the field. From the union of these two, all things are born. Both prakriti and parusha are essential to the creation of the world. 
Nothing could exist without the spiritual basis of Purusha, and nothing could develop in a manifest form without the mind and matter of Prakriti. With its need to think of abstract principles in human terms, Hinduism, Hinduism embodies these two eternal principles in the figures of Shiva and Chakri, the divine father and mother. The Gita does not mention these two basic two because it comes essentially from the Vishnu tradition. But in the other great stream of the Hindu faith, Shiva, the eternal spirit, the absolute, represented as dwell, dwelling aloof on the mountain peak of spiritual peace. Shakti, the divine mother, is his creative partner. And without her, Shiva could not have created the world. Shakti, she has many names in her various manifestations, rules in the realm of birth and death. Shiva, Purusha, lives in the realm of the immortal. Together, the two represent Brahman, the attributeless Godhead, and the creative power of the Godhead called Maya. Thus, it is in the union of Shiva and Shakti that all things are born. This chapter emphasizes that the self, the real knower, is ever uninvolved in the shifting forces that play over the field. There is no possibility of any soul being eternally lost, for all beings partake of the immortal, pure nature of Purusha. We may endure the countless eons of birth and death, but we must finally find our rest in the eternal spirit. By definition, nothing takes place in the realm of Prakriti can affect Purusha, but the exact nature of the in interaction of these two is a profound mystery. Verse 32 explains this mystery by drawing a comparison with Akasha, the subtlest element recognized by the ancient philosophers. After they meditated on this shit for so long and got past everything, there was still a small essence called Akasha. Akasha is space itself. Just as space pervades the cosmos, yet remains pure even in the midst of impure things, so the self remains completely pure, even though it dwells in all things. Though it seems to live in the land of mortals and to undergo change in death, the real knower in every creature is deathless, hidden in the spiritual heart. And that's that. I implore you to listen to it again so you can pick up on things that you missed. So you are all up to date for our next lesson. And as always, thank you for tuning in to WLOU, the smooth sounds of the Bhagavad Gita.